This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. On Saturday in Buffalo, New York, we saw an all-too-familiar and all-too-American tragedy unfold. We're going to need some officers inside the top because we have numerous bodies. In this case, a young white man walked into a grocery store in a mostly black neighborhood and started shooting. Targeting people just doing their usual weekend errands for their families. This is the worst nightmare that any community can face. Many of them are sad, they're angry, they're filled with anger, trying to understand why this happened. We're learning more about the victims in this case. 10 people died, three were hurt, 11 of them were black. What do we tell our father? We don't even know, he doesn't know. What do we tell him? How do we tell him the love of his life, his primary caretaker, the person who kept him alive for the last eight years? How do we tell him that she's gone? Not just that she's gone, but she's gone at the hands of a white supremacist, of a terrorist, of an evil person. And even worse, the gunman tried to live stream the entire attack. This is a textbook move for killers. Fame is an incentive. They want to see their hateful ideas go viral. And social media companies don't have a strong track record of stopping them. But this time, in Buffalo, things went a little different. Recode Shireen Ghaffari is here to explain. The shooter in Buffalo, New York, prepared to live stream the gruesome violence to Twitch, which is a live streaming video app that's popular with gamers and hasn't really been in the news as much as a platform you know, that could be misused in this way. The last major shooting that we've really seen streamed at the same level was the Christchurch mosque shootings in 2019. And for comparison, it took Facebook 17 minutes. Um, actually, it took them even longer than that. But for 17 minutes, the full shootings were streamed on Facebook stream before the company took any action. But this time, again, it was on Twitch, this sort of newer Amazon-owned live streaming app for gamers. And Twitch actually shut down the live stream pretty quickly. So less than two minutes, the company says, after the violence began. And it reportedly had only 22 views. And that's one of the fastest response times that we've seen so far from a social media platform that lets people post in real time when a mass shooting event like this happens. So Twitch took down the live stream pretty quickly in two minutes. but. The video didn't go away. What happened after that? That's right. So it had this afterlife. And that's really common with horrific acts of violence like this that are live streamed, where even if, you know, in this case, there were only 22 people or less who presumably were watching this, some of them or one of them was able to record a screen grab and then circulate it elsewhere on the internet. 
And so soon after the shooting happened, we started to see this video pop up on every social platform you can think of, both on sort of the fringe sites like 8chan and 4chan that are known for having a lot of violent and hateful speech, as well as the mainstream ones like Facebook and Twitter. And that's where you have much bigger audiences and that's where things can really go viral. And is there a reason why Twitch was able to take down the video so quickly? Yeah, if you think about it by design, a live streaming only platform like Twitch isn't designed to make something go viral in the way that Facebook or Twitter is, right? There's no sort of like news feed structure where a post or a link can keep getting spread around and around. So once you shut off that one guy's feed, it kind of cut the head of the snake off. Whereas with Facebook and Twitter, people weren't allowed to post the video itself to Facebook and Twitter and Facebook you know, tried to block the video from being shared, but people got around that and started making edited versions of the video, keep posting links to the video, Google Drive links to this guy's manifesto, links to third-party websites, and those links ended up getting millions of views. And so it's much, much harder by design for a platform like Facebook or Twitter to stop this thing. Got it. Well, where do things stand now? We're talking a few days after the shooting, but have Facebook and Twitter managed to stop or even slow down that viral spread? They have taken some efforts to slow it down, but they haven't been able to fully stop it and they probably won't ever be able to. Over the years, these companies have improved some processes. For example, Facebook and Twitter, Twitch are all part of a consortium where they share notes when an event like this happens. They categorize all the different instances of a video like this, even if it's been edited or manipulated, and they say, hey, here's something we flagged, just so you know the other companies can more quickly take it down. But Ultimately, that resource sharing didn't stop this video from circulating really widely. And there's always going to be workarounds when you have platforms that have billions of users. And this is really going to be an ongoing problem. And I don't see them stopping it unless they drastically change the design of these apps. And historically, how have these companies approached content moderation and how have those strategies evolved over time? Companies so far have been really focused on identifying the specific imagery in those violent videos. And then they can use kind of sophisticated technology like AI to try to make sure that if someone, let's say, takes that video and just shortens it by a couple minutes, that the AI can still detect and say, this is the same video as before. This has the same sort of makeup and we're going to block you from even trying to post it. But what that doesn't solve for is this problem of, okay, well, what if someone posts a link to an outside website? In this case, there was one called Streamable. Uh, you probably never heard of it. It's just a not well-known video sharing website. And on Streamable, this shooting video was up for almost a full day, for a full working day, for like nine hours, which is you know way longer than probably it would take Facebook or Twitter to shut down this kind of link. But Streamable presumably has far fewer resources and you know it's just not somewhere you would even expect. And so the streamable link is then widely shared by people on Facebook and Twitter. And that streamable video was ultimately viewed more than 3 million times. And all that sophisticated image sort of blocking technology that these companies invest in doesn't apply because what's being shared is not an image, but a link to a third party website. So that's where I think the bulk of the problem was in this scenario. How do you think about assigning blame? in a situation like this when violent videos like the one from Buffalo go viral. Obviously, social media platforms have a responsibility to moderate violent content so that it doesn't spread, but 
ultimately it's people who decide to take screen grabs or share links to the videos on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. Yeah, it's a perpetual game of whack-a-mole, right? And there's always going to be some percentage of Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube's billions of users who are bad actors, who are going to exploit these systems and use them in ways that they really shouldn't be used. And, you know, that's not all Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube's fault, and it's a super difficult problem to solve. But I think, you know, it's still important that we figure out a solution and design buffers against that kind of exploitation. Because... It's important to remember that these social media apps are not just a place where people are sharing information. It's also a place that becomes sort of an incentive for would-be killers you know, to become famous, essentially. Uh, you know, we saw the shooter in Buffalo explicitly say in his writings leading up to this that he was encouraged by the motivation that he thought he would find by live streaming this shooting. That, you know, there was sort of a sick kind of community he seemed to be looking forward to online. And I think that incentive really has to change. And, you know, ultimately, this deprives victims and their families of you know, their dignity in their final moments. And having that broadcast all over social media and such a horrific act of violence like this is, is very unjust. And it's definitely a somber problem that is worth solving, even if, again, it's incredibly difficult. I think that you can always have incremental improvements. For example, Facebook and Twitter could have been better about more quickly identifying links and anticipating that problem rather than just sort of the actual video itself being directly uploaded to their sites. But that being said, if you really want to stop the source of this problem, I think you have to stop the incentives. And ultimately right now, there's a lot of incentive for people to act badly online. That gets a lot of attention, whether it's a killing in this case or just someone bullying someone else or being mean. I think that the incentives on social media can be really inherently flawed in terms of the kind of behavior that it tends to encourage. And so I think unless we really see a shift in that incentive structure, I don't know if we're ever going to see people stop behaving badly, or in this case, beyond badly, um, really horrifically online. Shireen, thank you. Thank you. Today's episode was produced by Taylor Macon and engineered by Melissa Ponce from Hemlock Creek Productions. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Thanks for listening.